I think the first question before I tell you any taxes, this is what you do with the money. No, the first question is awareness. Ask yourself, why do I feel this way about the money? And who taught this to me? That's a good point. Yeah. Who taught me? Who taught this You know, to me? Why do I feel like I need to hoard all this money? And who said that to me? And most of the time, what you'll realize is that the person that actually indoctrinated that into you, um, it did that from a place of fear. And they don't have the things that you want and you aspire to have. If you've ever asked yourself how to stop trading all of your time for money, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Wealth Code Secrets, where I'll be teaching you how to access the Wealth Code by creating solutions and value in today's ever-changing world so you can create unlimited wealth and fulfillment in all aspects of your lives. Thanks for joining me. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Wealth Code Secrets podcast. I'm your... Wait, am I the host today? Your co-host. Oh, I'm co-host. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, co-host why don't you go one. ahead and introduce yourself as the host? <laughs> I can be co-host. I'm co-host number two. You're co-host number two. Okay. Number well, one. today, myself and Sydney Davis, who is the extraordinaire of the smart success healthcare, uh, what do we want to call you? Uh, technology, social media. Digital uh, anything and di- everything. Yeah, digital di- guru. Let's she's a go digital goddess. How about that? A digital <laughs> goddess. And she just came up with this amazing idea and said, you know what, Greg, I would love to interview you on a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I said, really? And so I said, well, I'm going to go and have brunch. And when I come back from brunch, let's, let's do this interview. So I have no idea what's going to happen today. But uh, I'm going to give it over to you. Go ahead Amazing. and tell me what I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think today it'd be fun to kind of walk through a bit of your story because okay. I know people hear so many bits and pieces of it okay. on your different social media platforms. So I thought it'd be fun to go ahead and walk through kind of like what has Gigi's life been like? And then we'll speak to the people that, you know, we like to talk to every day. Healthcare professionals. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's go. <laughs> okay, so. Many of you don't know, maybe you do, but GT, he's a rather short fellow. <laughs> we're coming in. We're coming so in. This is what this is all about. Maybe okay. five foot eight uh, if we're being okay. generous or so. <laughs> but I wanted to go ahead and start, that, you know, in your early childhood. That's actually being generous. You can't by the way. you can't get much shorter than yeah, you are yeah. now. But let's talk about when you were shorter, when you were younger. What was growing up like with GT? Oh what was your gosh. childhood like? Oh <laughs> uh, my. Okay. So uh, by the way, she is exaggerating. I'm not five eight, y'all. I'm like five six and a half. Okay. Uh, so what was it like? I was. Uh, I'm a middle child, and I was actually an aggressive kid. I realized that I was uh, trying to mark my territory. Yeah. I had an older brother, uh, and I had the baby, which was Brandon. Right. My older brother's Mark. Baby's Brandon, and I'm in the middle. And so I always felt like I had to prove myself. Um, because I think I wanted to be known, yeah. you know, I wanted to, 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 to stand out because obviously I'm not tall enough, so I couldn't stand <laughs> out, but no, seriously, yeah. I think that, you know, that's what I did. And I think that, um, I, uh, tried to excel mm-hmm. in the things that I did. And I thought that excelling would give me notoriety with my parents and approval with my parents. And, and your uh, parents, they're immigrants or you all are immigrants. Yeah, so, yeah, talk about so, so my, my parents are from Jamaica. I was actually born in Jamaica as well. Uh, and my parents came here in, I believe, January of 1978. I was four and a half months. Uh, and they came to this country. My grandfather was here prior and then they all lived together and that's where they kind of got started. So, 
So I'm technically from Jamaica. I was born in Jamaica, but did you, know, you ever have here. like a chip on your shoulder being like, I need to make it because of where I'm from and how um, I grew up? I mean, I feel like I had a chip on my shoulder, not necessarily because I was from Jamaica. I feel like I have a chip on my shoulder because I had a chip on my shoulder because I was a middle child. And I, um, but I do think that I have a competitive advantage over a lot of people during my childhood. I went to Jamaica most summers up until I was 15. So I was able to grow up here in the States and realize the amazing opportunities that we have. But I also realized how blessed we were. I think a lot of people take advantage of the fact that we have all these things that we have here because you don't know any different. Uh, And for me, Mm -hmm. I was able to see true poverty. I I remember going to the airport uh, back then. Miami International Airport was the airport that you had to go to if you want to go to Jamaica. It Mm -hmm. wasn't from Fort Lauderdale yet, at least at this time. And I remember when you go from Pembroke Pines, where I live, to Miami International Airport, you're passing like Brown, Culver, like all these hood places, okay? And you're like, woof, this is like, the, this is yeah. true ghetto until you go to Jamaica. When you go to Jamaica, when I, I remember coming back, looking at those places, like, wow, this is like a palace. So having that perspective, mm-hmm. uh, you know, helped to shape me a lot. Yeah. Having that perspective. And then I just think being the middle child and trying to, like find my way and yeah. be known just within family. Forget about other people, but yeah. just my family. Yeah. Did you cultivate any of your passion for physical therapy when you went over to Jamaica or is that something that you no. encountered over here? More? No, it, the, the passion for physical therapy was really through my mother. My mother, uh, she was uh, a transcriptionist for an orthopedic surgeon. So, uh, I mean, my dad was there and, you know, but my dad worked really, really hard and he was on appointments. He's in financial services. So he was on appointments and this and that. My mom was the one that could go to my younger brother's baseball games. So what I did is when she was at the games, I would um, do her work. Okay. I would actually do the typing. I Seriously, I learned how yeah. to type. And I was typing like 50 words a minute by seventh grade. And, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And so I was typing like 50 words a minute by the time I was in seventh grade. And when my mom had to type all the uh, dictations from the orthopedic surgeon, I would do it. And that's how I mm. learned the bones, muscles, the yeah. femur, the humors. I learned it through that. And that's what kind of sparked my interest in medicine. Okay. Uh, my mom set up an appointment for me to meet her boss, which mm-hmm. was Dr. Paul Hindenburg. And he basically was like, don't do what I, Yeah. I don't know my kids, this, that he was, he was in a really crappy mood or whatever. Yeah. But anyways, um, <laughs> Caught him at the right time. Yeah, caught him at the right time. And he said, do what those people do. And they had physical therapists there mm-hmm. at his office. And that's what like created my curiosity okay. behind physical therapy. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of the people that we work with go into PT school now and rack up probably around 200K in debt. Yeah. Can you talk about the amount of debt that you had when you were going through PT school, the salary you made, what your whole school experience was like, just yeah. to give a bit of comparison? Yeah. So, so for me, I want to be honest with you, I really didn't have... Uh, much debt coming out of school. My wife and I got married uh, about four months after I became a physical therapist and she had debt, her debt, what's mine is yours and what's mm-hmm. yours is mine. So collectively we probably about had 60 like 60 K. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, but the reality is that it was a different time. I didn't have that type of debt. And for, and for me now there were people that graduated and had 40, 50, $60,000 worth of debt. Remember this is 2000. 
Uh, but I didn't have that. And I worked at one time, I worked three jobs while mm-hmm. I was in PT school. So I worked really, really hard to come out of it with no debt. Yeah. And even with that said, we still had debt yeah. <laughs> because of, you know, what my wife was doing. And then she went and got her master's and all the other stuff. So um, I, I can't, I can't relate to the gargantuan amount of debt that people have now because I didn't have it. But what I can relate to is I can relate to the, the feeling of not being able to upwardly progress mm-hmm. and not being able to, uh, you know, like feel like you can work hard towards a better life. Mm-hmm. And that's where I resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. What year did you graduate? 2000. Okay. What was your mindset about money like in the year 2000 compared to now in 2022? Yeah. I mean, back then I thought that money was the root of all evil. I thought that making um, money was going to come at a massive cost and a massive sacrifice. I thought that if you could work nine to five, you can have the white picket fence, the two and a half kids, and maybe a dog. You would, that is the American dream. I thought that, um, entrepreneurs were greedy uh, and they just weren't happy people because they couldn't settle. That's what my, my mindset and my mentality was. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was indoctrinated from family. Yeah. You know? So how did you kind of unwire that programming and those, those conversations? You, were you know, having when, yourself? when you're going through massive pain, Sid, you're going through massive pain. You start to, the first thing you do is you start to question things. So, one of the things for me is that my parents, um, I hope they don't mind me saying this, but I remember when my parents were going through struggles in their marriage and uh, they were going through struggles when I felt like my dad wasn't doing as well as he was doing prior to mm-hmm. in the financial services business that he, that he was a part of. So in my mind, I equated breakups in marriage to risk in finances. I created breakups or issues in marriage to not having stability. So literally my childhood and me becoming a physical therapist is totally around that mindset. And so how did I break out of that? Well, 2004, I'm now having problems in my marriage Mm. and I'm having problems in my marriage because I'm in a stable yet non-ascending position. So then I started to question, what the heck? Like, I don't get this. Mm-hmm. H- like, how is this possible? How is it possible that the thing that I've been trying to do everything in my power to get away from is now yeah. attacking me in a different yeah. way? So I think I, I've had to question. It's interesting how we view stability because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is stability in being an entrepreneur. It's just a different type. So like, you're, you're what is the definition right. of stability to a nine to five? And then what is the definition of stability and the experience of stability running your own business? Right, Can right. you speak to that? Yeah, sure. Uh, um, that, that's a, that's a great point. I, I think, I think in my mind, I thought that, you know, it's a financial risk and that's what I always took as stability. Okay. If you work for someone, there is no financial risk. But there is okay? still too. Though. But there actually <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. Or so I thought. Uh huh. I thought that there was no financial risk, right? So I thought that, all right, I'm working for someone. I don't have to go and invest money. I just got to go there and I got to sh- you know, show up. But the reality is that there is a financial risk because you are the low person on the totem pole. So what I realized today is that like today I own multiple companies. I'm not going to get fired first. Right. Yeah. So I didn't realize that at the time that 
like, like there actually is huge, you know, financial risk, Mm -hmm. but in your mind Mm -hmm. and the way that we've been trained and conditioned, there is no financial risk. Now, what I knew at the time, or at least in 2004, when I was hitting that massive pain point Mm -hmm. was that, um, there was massive risk and the risk was I didn't have ability to ascend. I didn't have the ability to get my time back. I was, I was trading my stability and money for someone to own all my time. Yeah. Instead of today, I risk my money so that I could own my time. Yeah. And so I didn't understand that back then, but it mm-hmm. took all of that for me to finally, yeah. get it. it took pain. Yeah. So I'm sure when you started your own business, the whole stability thought was definitely still really present. Was there a time in your journey, like how many years in, or when you reached a certain milestone that you kind of this like obsession with stability began to fade away and you felt a bit more comfortable? Yeah, I, I, and this is probably going to be a weird answer, but um, I had to file for, I had to short sale an investment property that I had in 2009. And um, even back then I was still like, oh my God, I got to have the perfect credit. I have to have this, I have to have that. But uh, it was, you know, I, I got a property with my dad in 2005 and it was right at the peak of the market. And so we couldn't get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And I had to hold that mortgage for nearly four years and I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I ended up short selling the place and, um, and my credit went to crap. Mm-hmm. And so that and was a good the, credit score. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's like the ultimate a good thing credit score people. is like the greatest thing for a middle-class <laughs> yeah. broke mindset person. It's, yeah. like, it's like, it's like you won the Super Bowl. And what I realized after I lost my credit, I realized that the only thing that was hurt was my ego. That was it. And I realized at that time that, you know what? Um, I'm still able to live. I'm still able to, um, it, it made me not make stupid like decisions anymore. Mm-hmm. And it made, that was what took away all my fear. Really? Yes, that was it. Yeah. It was, was it like when, a worst case scenario? Kind that of was worst case scenario. Yeah. And, and what I think most people, uh, they, they, have, they have totally amplified what their worst case scenario is. Most people should just, oh my gosh, that's the greatest thing ever, I'm ever happy. Go, like lose your credit. And then you realize, I have nothing to fear. After that, that's when I went guns blazing. Yeah. That's literally, that happened in 2009. In 2011, I made my first million. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So how did you, did you take more risks after that then to yeah. make your I said, first Screw million? It. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I was afraid of? Yeah. Like, that's what I was afraid of. Wow. Yeah. So at that point I realized that, holy crap, I live in America. Yeah. Like you could screw up so many times yeah. and you would, you'll still be okay. Mm-hmm. You'll still be okay. And I realized that, um, that I was, I was, I was begging for this perfect credit just to not use a credit. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. So then after that, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm going to go for it all. Yeah. You know? And I, and now I'm willing to, to spend money and invest money so that I can buy back the rest of my life. Amazing. Yeah. That was it. I've heard you talk about the concept a lot of like spending money to make money and how that's a rich person mindset. Yeah. And broke is just save, 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 save. And you'll never, and it's such a, it's such a scarcity mindset Mm -hmm. because you truly think that you're going to lose it all. So let's save, 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 save. Let's not do anything with the money. Let's just say, (laughs) let's hoard it. Let's hoard everything. Um, because I'm going to lose it. Yeah. It, but for me, it's no, let's go ahead and let's invest. Mm-hmm. Let's borrow. Let's, let's use the money mm-hmm. to go and create bigger, yeah. create better. And that's what has 
So um, if you're talking to someone that just saves most of their paycheck month after month after month, what would kind of be the steps that you would tell them to getting to this entrepreneurial life that maybe they want, but they're just way too scared and will just sit in their bank account month after month? Yeah, I what mean, practical I, steps should they take? Yeah, I, I think one of the big things that, that they can do is have awareness, right? You know, mm-hmm. I always talk about audit first, audit first. Mm-hmm. So create awareness and the awareness is what is your financial Xanax that you need? So what, so what I mean by that, yes, yes, (laughs) yeah. What's your financial, because some people it's like, if they don't have a certain amount, they, they can't like it, they're, they, it's, it's paralyzing to them. So let's, let's, let's identify like what, what, when is enough going to be enough? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then ask yourself why, like, why, you know, why do you need that? And once you start to actually realize, wait a minute, okay, this is going to be my, this is the financial Xanax that I need mm-hmm. in order to keep me calm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And then everything else, let's start to actually move it towards investing. So I have like different accounts and I have accounts that's like, okay, this will help my financials, you know, Xanax. I don't need a lot now, mm-hmm. but then I'm going to put the rest of this kidney, yeah. this money into an account that literally when the next great investing opportunity comes up, whether it's for me, mm-hmm. whether it's for another business, like that's how I did smart virtual stuff. Yeah. That's how, like I had the money mm-hmm. and I was just ready for the right opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then I'll invest in that. I'll invest in this. I'll invest in that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how I do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone is sitting on that money, like if you could give them questions they need to ask themselves yeah. uh, to move to a new place, like what should they start? Yeah. Asking I think, themselves? I think the first question before like, I tell you any taxes, this is what you do with the money. No, the first question is awareness. Ask yourself, why do I feel this way about the money? And who taught this to me? That's a good point. Yeah. Who taught me? Who taught this You know, to me? Why do I feel like I need to hoard all this money? And who said that to me? And most of the time, what you'll realize is that the person that actually indoctrinated that into you, um, it did that from a place of fear. And they don't have the things that you want and you aspire to have. So that's the first thing. Every single thing that you currently believe was something that was ingrained in you from someone. It was a teacher. It was a parent. It was a a brother. It was a sister. It was an aunt. It was an uncle. Someone told you that and wired that into your psyche. And so ask yourself that and then say, is this belief serving me? And if it's not serving you, then like, let's start to do the process to change it. Yeah. So we talk here all the time about time freedom, financial freedom, and clinical freedom. So how did you experience those things like your time, your finances, and your clinical freedom? Or it's not even really considered freedom probably when you were in your nine to five versus how you experience those things now that you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I didn't have time freedom, okay, which is the ability to do the things that you want when you want and how you want. Um, I didn't have financial freedom because I didn't have time freedom and I didn't have time freedom because I didn't have financial freedom. Mm-hmm. Financial freedom is where um, I can live the lifestyle that I want to live. And I actually don't have to physically work. I have enough assets and money generating income for me to sustain the lifestyle that I have right now for myself, my wife and my four kids. That's 100% financial freedom. If you're at the point where you can do that and only have to work 50% of the time, that's 50% you know, financial mm-hmm. freedom. Okay. The first one I got was not time freedom or financial freedom. The first one I got is clinical freedom. So when I was at my nine to five, I had none of those Mm -hmm. and I had no clinical freedom. And so the clinical freedom was that I couldn't do things the way that I wanted to do it because I had to report to a boss. I had to report to a regional director. So if they were like, Hey, we want you to stop seeing Cigna patients um, beyond 
four visits or five visits, I had to do that. Or my job was in jeopardy, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I had no clinical freedom Mm -hmm. there. So I had none of those things in a Mm -hmm. nine to five. What I, the first thing I got when I went on my own is clinical freedom. Now, no one's telling me what to do. If I don't want to take an insurance, I don't have to take that insurance. That Mm -hmm. insurance is not making me treat clients in a way that I want to treat them. I didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. So I got clinical freedom first. I was still broke though. Yeah. I was still broke. Okay. And then after that, I was able to get some time freedom. So I was able to now build up enough demand on my schedule to where people, instead of seeing me six days a week, would only see me five days a week Mm -hmm. and then five to four. And then it went from four to three Mm -hmm. and went from three to two. And I was able to hire more people to work on the other day. So I got time freedom first. And then I was able to now start to accrue enough money and actually set up a business to where it was a profitable business to where I was able to take my money and I was able to invest it. Mm -hmm. 401k, IRA, Mm -hmm. real estate. Some went good. Some went bad. I was able to do other investments. Some went good, some went bad, but the ones that did well, that money started to make me more money because I put it in a vehicle that worked mm-hmm. and now the money is making me money and that's what allowed me to get financial freedom. Yeah. So that's awesome. So it all, it all happened yeah. through the business. Yeah. Like that's it. Sounds like they built on one another. Yeah. They built on one another. Yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of people, when we consider the idea of entrepreneurship, it's all about making money, 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 money. It's like the two are mm-hmm. so linked, obviously, because you're running the business, so you right. need to make money. But you approach it from a really interesting angle, too, which is all about the people and serving people. Is that a mindset that you've had you know, since childhood or did that like kind of change once you got into a certain amount of years of business? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I don't know. It's kind of mixed a little bit like I've always like, who, I don't know, who doesn't like to help people? You know what I mean? Like you <laughs> yeah. want to see people do better. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I've always liked to help people and serve people. But I got to be honest with you, when I went into entrepreneurship initially, I wanted to make money. Like, that's what I want. I wanted to make money. I wanted to serve my family. Okay. Now, did I get very far with that? No. Okay. All right. Um, I, I realized that um, even though, yeah, I was making money, uh, I started to fall in love with the process of actually making the money and serving the people. So I got to be honest with you. I didn't even know I was a millionaire. <laughs> I didn't know it. Funny story. I, did, I had no clue. Yeah. I only found out after we bought um, a home. Yeah. And when we're at the, the closing, they showed me my assets. I didn't even know. I, I was so obsessed over the prior like nine years of just serving people that I wasn't looking at my bank account, looking at what I had in this IRA and this place and that place and mm-hmm. over here and whatnot. I had no idea. I fell in love with the process of serving people. And being super curious about people's problems. Yeah, that curiosity the, element is huge. The curiosity is is everything. And when because you, you actually how do you give refine that skill as a business owner? Ask more questions and talk less. That's what you do. Ask more questions and talk less, and people will tell you if you listen to them, they'll tell you everything. You know, but they actually like. They actually have to trust you enough, but I got to be honest with you. You don't even need to get a lot of trust to hear people's problems. Mm -hmm. People won't trust you with the solution, but they sure as hell will tell you their problems. You get on a flight and I know the other day you went to, you went to Colorado Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you talked to anybody when you're on a plane, but if you decided that you were going to talk to somebody, I was busy having a panic attack, you're busy having a panic attack. (laughs) But if you were to talk to someone Mm -hmm. or whatever, people will tell you everything. They'll tell you their problems, but they won't listen to your solutions. 
So, so understand that like, it is so easy to be, to do the first proper step of entrepreneurship, which is your job is to solve people's problems mm-hmm. and people will tell you their problems and not even know your name. So how do you allow them to like be receptive to the solution you provide? You have to gain their trust first. What's that process like? And the way that you gain their trust is by you talking to them about their problems that they have and them realizing that you truly understand what I'm dealing with. And when the person that can communicate that the best and truly understand this is what this person is truly dealing with, now they're ready to listen to you. So it starts with listening first, which is totally counterintuitive in healthcare because in healthcare, our egos are center Mm -hmm. and we want people to think we know everything and that's how we think we make it. But you actually make it by humbling yourself and saying, I, I just want to learn more from you. And if you did that, you'd know all the different problems that people are having. You'd be able to solve it. You'd be rich, riches, riches all. (laughs) Riches can get out. Riches. Okay. I have a question. I need to think about it for a second. Okay. But what is something you probably want to think about it for a second. No, you (laughs) are kidding. (laughs) So what's something that you value that most people don't? Something that I value Mm -hmm. that most people don't. I think I value my time Mm -hmm. and most people don't. People say they do, but they really don't. What does it look like to truly value your time? To truly value your time, you're going to measure it. How do you measure it? You measure it through measuring devices. (laughs) Should we plug the GT planner? Can we plug the GT planner here? No, seriously. (laughs) Um, People check their bank accounts. Mm -hmm. They measure and they manage their money, Mm -hmm. right? They check their bank accounts every day. They check whatever investments they have. They they check it all the time. Uh, But uh, the majority of people, they don't manage their time on a daily basis. They don't manage it. So I truly respect my time. Um, and I have my wife to thank for that. Yeah. She won't tolerate it. She, accountability in she, that department. She will not tolerate it. Yeah. And if and if I start tripping when it comes to time and saying that, oh, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. Um she's the one of the she's one of the she is one of the nicest human beings you'll ever meet. But her silence it's like the, it's like the wrath, it's like, it is a wrath yeah. about on you. I'm yeah. telling you right now, like she will let me know this ain't it. And she has very, very, very high standards when it comes to time. And, um, and she has forced my hand into mm-hmm. measuring your time and managing it. And if you can't handle it, then we're going to have to make changes. So to me, entrepreneurship. Yeah, but you're allowed fun. to be able to manage your time because yeah, you are exactly. an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, I, everything has to be like locked in. Yeah. Like I'm not, I can't play games and I don't see most people managing their time. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things I try to do with the students, I'm like, all right, like if, if you're feeling overwhelmed, here's the first thing I want to see. I want to see your planner. And a lot of people, that's why nobody comes to me saying they're yeah. overwhelmed because, uh, you know, either a, they're not doing it mm-hmm. on their planner or B, there's no reason to be overwhelmed because mm-hmm. if you're managing you your time, you can get going. everything's going. Yeah. yeah. You know, where so. do you think healthcare professionals waste the most amount of time? Treating patients. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because because we because we have been trained that our value is in seeing people for longer and seeing less people at a time. I'm so, just love my brain process. <laughs> okay, so so it's like this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um you are deemed as a uh a better healthcare professional mm-hmm. if you see people longer, right? So instead of seeing someone for 15 minutes, um, if you can see them for 30 minutes, that's better. But you know what's better than 30 minutes? An hour. 
You know what's better than an hour? An hour and a half. You know what's better than a week of treatment? Two weeks. What's better than two weeks? Five weeks. What's better than five weeks? Ten weeks. So we are... We Is that actually, because the amount of money you get for that time? Oh, well, the way that it's set up through the insurance scam industry is that you are valued based on 15-minute buckets. So every 15 minutes, you can charge like another unit. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's how we're valued. We're valued based on your time, mm-hmm. which is basically a poor man's way of being valued. The rich man's way, the premium way, is being valued by the payoff. Mm-hmm. So if I can give you a bigger payoff, then mm-hmm. I get more. That's why I can charge what I charge because the payoff that I get from my students is very, very, very high. So it's justified mm-hmm. in relation to the value that I'm giving them. So that way, mm-hmm. I'm not trading time for money. Mm-hmm. I'm just trading solutions for money. Okay. And that's the way that I try to teach people. Okay. And that's translated over into like physical therapy practice as well. Because now... Same thing. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you know, same thing. And if people can stop valuing their time as their differentiator mm-hmm. then and now solutions well they can get a lot of their time back oh that is so interesting yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. time is usually the differentiator not the solution not value the solution. you got it so how do yeah. you construct a good solution oh gosh well you got to pay for that y'all <laughs> yeah. okay, no, no no but no no seriously you have to give people things that they value mm-hmm. okay and at the end of the day it has to be something that they want fixed mm-hmm. that's why you have to listen to people and figure out what is the problem that they want fixed and if the problem is already being fixed in the marketplace, what's a way that I can solve this problem that's actually more desirable for the person? Yeah. Um, versus how it is now. Like for instance, let's let's take the let's take the retail um industry, right? Uh, we would go to the mall and we go and buy a blouse or buy a, a, a uh, sorry, is that for old people? Is is that what old people say? Okay, all right. Okay, buy buy a t-shirt. You guys, this is this is this is what happens when you're when you work at these millennials, man, or Gen Zs or whatever they call themselves. Okay. All right. So, so you go and you buy a shirt, you buy jeans, you buy pants, you buy shorts, whatever, okay? And you'd go before you go to the mall. Okay? That's one way of you pay them money at the store and then they give you the thing. Okay? There's this company, probably heard of it, called Amazon, and they decided that you could get the same stuff, but we're going to allow you to get this in a different way where you actually don't have to leave your home. You can go, you can go online. You, we have an app. You can click, you can buy the thing. And if you get it and after you feel it, you touch it, you try it on, you don't like it. You could return it back really easy. They made the same thing easier. And now they are the trillion dollar company. So you don't always have to create something totally new. You just have to make it better. And isn't, can we all agree? Healthcare is awful at delivering. So it's not hard to become wealthy in healthcare. It's really easy. You know, it's really, really, really easy in the grand scheme of things. I think the, the, the issue is that we live in a world where everything is easy now because everything's so easy. It, it's, it's hard to actually do. Yeah. The hard part of easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and, and that's really the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and if you can fight through all that, mm-hmm. then, then you're going to win. So to close out the episode, I want to bring it back to a closer you had a couple of weeks ago at this little event called Pelvi Biz. Oh, Do you remember how you closed out that event? Was this about the Tesla thing? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. Speak to the Tesla moment and invest. In yeah. So someone, you know, asked me, um, I believe they asked me like, 
the program looks yeah. worth it. I think. Yeah. So like, is the program worth it or actually, actually, no. Okay. I know what happened. So someone uh, has been thinking of opening up a practice and there's this awesome location facility that they have available for them to, to, to do it. And I said, you just got to go ahead and do it. You got to just invest. You got to do it. And so um, they said, but is it going to be worth it? I was like, all right, well, let me throw this at you. So I have a, a, a Tesla. And if I said to you right now, I'm going to sell my Tesla tomorrow and I'm going to sell it to you tomorrow. And you have to give me the money in the next 24 hours. And I'm going to sell it to you for $25,000. Would you do it? And the person immediately said, yes, of course I do it. Of course I do it. I was like, well, tell me why you would do it. Well, because look, your, your Tesla's beautiful. Um, I could either drive it myself. I could, I could sell my car or, you know, even if I didn't drive your Tesla and I just bought it from you for 25,000, I know your Tesla's worth way over 25,000 so I could sell it back and I can make money. It's like interesting. So you are 100% right, but that just shows you that you believe more in a vehicle than you believe in yourself. Because what I would tell myself today is that I have the ability to be the greatest investment there is. Not a car, not a house, me. What is keeping me where I'm at and what's keeping you where you're at is your skill set and your ability to implement off the skill set that you have. So if you have a crappy skill set, for those of you that are in healthcare, your skill set is based off of just straight the skill sets that you learn in school. Well, you have a skill set that is comparable to basically everyone else existing on this earth that is a PT or an occupational therapist or a registered dietitian or chiropractor or whatever it is that you are. Okay. But if you commit to saying, I'm going to now invest in myself and learn a skill set that can complement what I do as a PT, RD, OD, OT, you can make so much more money, infinitely more than you purchasing my Tesla for the same amount. You could. It's easy for a lot of people to see the value in a Tesla more than they can see the value in themselves. It's much easier for people to see the value in a house, a Tesla, um, tickets to a concert, (laughs) than they can see it in themselves. And the reality is that um, most people, they want the truth, but they still want to believe the lie. Mm. And so they- Why though? Because the lie is easy. The lie is easy. And it's probably heard more often. Yeah. And, and the truth means that we have to change a lot of times and everybody wants the world to change, but they don't want to change themselves. And so if you can get to the point where you change yourself and you're willing to hear the truth, you're willing to, first of all, seek the truth and then hear the truth and then act on truth. Then the truth shall set you free. Oh, mic drop, baby. And that's the Wealth Code Secrets podcast for today. Do you have anything else? No, nope, I'm good. Can we give her a round of applause? You like me to lower the table back then? Okay. Oh my gosh. Uh, here we go. The short jokes again. <laughs> Anyways, y'all, thanks for listening. Thank you to yes. our co-host, Sydney Davis, uh-huh. for doing this interview today. Happy and we'll see here. you all next time. Out, girls go. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Wealth Code Secrets. If you haven't already, please share this out so that more people can get access to The Wealth Code. Now, if you would like to work with us and connect with my team, go to www.connectwithgt.com. 
That's where you can find all my free trainings, free resources, and actually book a free strategy call with my team. So looking forward to talking with you. Remember, let's make your days count. Till next time.